Welcome to a special Halloween-themed episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm your host, Jeremy Parmentier, and with me, as always, Billy Holiday. Hello there. And Jeremy Gregory. Hey, guys. Now, last week we talked about Haunting starring Poltergeist, uh, but this week we really wanted to, to layer on the Halloween scare factor. So we're talking about not just one game, but three games, the Splatterhouse series across the TurboGrafx-16 and Sega Genesis. But before we get to that... A very special Halloween-themed version of What Have You Been Playing? Probably won't be Halloween-themed at all. Uh, what have you been playing, Billy? I actually, uh, I, can, I can make it Halloween-themed somewhat. I played, uh, played a lot of Destiny. Still playing a, a tad of Metal Gear. Uh, but uh, on the uh, PlayStation Network, they had a, a sale on, I guess, horror-themed games. And I picked up White Knight, uh, which I was not familiar with. It's kind of a, a, a film noir, black-and-white artsy type thing um and it's somewhat enjoyable it's kind of a haunted house type thing there's a lot of mechanics with having to turn on lights in certain areas to to scare away ghosts you can explore and uh but it's also very frustrating because it has one of those things where most of your lights provided by matches you have to light uh, and you can only carry for some reason you can only burden yourself with 12 of them uh, i think over that, it gets a bit too heavy to tote around. Uh, they don't last long, and you can actually run out, so you can just kind of be stuck in the middle of nowhere and pretty much start over. And the save points are not, uh, they're pretty few and far between, but uh, it's enjoyable enough so far. Well, I, uh, I also did pick up uh, a game on that PlayStation sale. I got Soul Survivor for the Vita. Uh, mm-hmm. I had never played it before. It's, it's not... Uh scary as much as i'm sure something else is going on i'm not very far into it now i i think i've put a whole half an hour to an hour into it i really like it it, it definitely is it's sort of a post-apocalyptic adventure game uh you know like the old style adventure games where you find an item and use it in a certain place and carry on inventory um but it seems to be so far and i'm sure later on it's going to open up but right now i'm all in one apartment complex uh, kind of just going from room to room, trying to see what I can unlock. I find keys in weird places, and uh, I'm really enjoying that, but I used to love those adventure games. Uh, I also downloaded for the Wii U, they have a, a demo of the new Fatal Frame game, Maiden of Blackwater. I'd never played a Fatal Frame game before. Uh, it, it definitely, it, It's definitely got the horror vibe. I've only played the, uh, the prologue section so far, um, but it's very much, you know, it feels like The Ring or The Grudge, one of those long-haired girl uh, Asian horror movies. The whole thing feels very much like that. Uh, it, at least in the prologue, you're just going through these dark, water-filled caverns uh, trying to, to escape from who knows what. You don't know why you're there. Uh, it, it's very creepy and very good. It's definitely something worth playing totally in the dark uh, and definitely not around kids, so I haven't put a lot of time into it. But uh, I also finished Final Fantasy IX, uh, which is not very scary, and uh, Pixel Junk Shooters for uh, Ultimate, I guess, for the Vita. And I started Final Fantasy X2, uh, and so far all I figured out is there's a lot of dancing and music. So I'm not really sure why I started that. That's all you need to know. I mean, that's that's all Final Fantasy X2 is really. It's just just it's a big old gem in the holograms episode, basically. Well, at least that's appropriate and timely right now for the week that that's in the theaters. I can at least pretend that I, I was doing it as a tie into the Gem movie, sponsored by the Gem movie. That's right. It bombed really mm. hard. I guess it was. It ended up being one of the worst uh, new releases in history. So there, there we go. That's how much our sponsorship counts. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to the movie <laughs> studios. Retrovaniacs, not yet the powerhouse <laughs> it needs to be. Well, what have you been playing, Jeremy? 
I haven't been playing anything um, horror related, I guess. I, I kind of finally hit my stride in Metal Gear Solid Five, And it kind of pisses me off because that game is really kind of really kind of challenging at the beginning of the game. It doesn't give you much at all. And then about, by the time you get done with um, Mission 10 or so, or even a, a few missions after that, you start getting so many things to aid you and help you in your missions that it almost seems like it's overkill. Like you're not even having to do stuff yourself. You can just call in other people. They can do half the mission for you without you even trying. And and so I, I've kind of got to the point where I, I've got a lot of confidence in, in what I'm doing. Whereas before I just felt like I was stumbling around in those levels and having no fucking clue what I was doing. But um, finally, finally, I, I get Metal Gear Solid Five. I enjoy it. Um, I don't know how long I'm actually going to keep playing it because even now up until I think I'm on like mission 18 or so, I'm kind of getting tired of playing it. I think it's really fun. I think it's probably one of the most fun Metal Gear Solid games I've ever played, if if not the best. But it's just, it, it doesn't have that story there for me and what story is there isn't keeping my attention. So maybe the gameplay can hold me out a little bit longer, but it's, uh, it, you know, I, I don't know. But that's that's really all I've been playing. Well, we've also spent time playing these Splatterhouse games, or else we have nothing to talk about. So let's go ahead and get started with the first game on the TurboGrafx-16, the original Splatterhouse. This is one of those. This one and uh, Bonk's Adventure were the two games that made me incredible, incredibly envious uh, of all TurboGrafx-16 owners. Uh, and I had never, ever, even with uh, you know the emulators being out there for you nowadays, I had never sat down and played this one um, until just now, or over this past week. Jeremy, had you played this before? I, I owned a TurboGrafx, and I owned this game, so I played this many, many times. I did not. I didn't even play the arcade version back in the day. I never even saw the arcade version. And even when I first saw the uh, the series on the Genesis, I was like, where did where was Splatterhouse 1? I don't remember ever seeing this game at all. So, no, I, I, didn't, I never actually got to play it. So this was my first time playing through it as well. Well, it's not surprising you didn't see the arcade game. I mean, thinking back, this came out in, uh, in 1988 uh, for the arcade game, and then in 1990 it showed up on the TurboGrafx um, both here and in Japan, but think about the arcades in 1988. Nothing this graphic, and it's not that graphic by today's standards, but nothing this graphic would have been acceptable in you know a Chuck E. Cheese or any regular arcade that kids would go into. I'm sure that you know the same people who were upset about uh, heavy metal albums and horror movies would have said, no, no, there's no way you can go to this arcade that's playing this game. I mean, they show blood and they show uh, monsters ripping arms off other monsters and such. Uh, there's no way that would have been acceptable. So I'm not surprised I never saw this in arcades. But that's why I wanted this so bad on TurboGrafx. I mean, there was a warning label on the package, and there was a, a very poorly made uh, Nintendo Power ripoff for TurboGrafx that they put out called TurboPlay. And they had a bunch of sections on this game as well. And, and it was like, oh, man, this game looks incredible. This looks like you're, you know, Jason from Friday the 13th. And it's basically what the game is. It's a, it's a 2D side-scrolling action game where you are uh, not officially... Uh, Jason from Friday the 13th, but instead of killing other teenagers, you're actually fighting monsters uh, for a purpose, I suppose. The story of the game is you are Rick, 
and you and your girlfriend Jennifer uh, are trying to escape a storm, so you go to the West Mansion. Uh, West Mansion has been abandoned for a long time because Dr. West vanished, but apparently he was having a whole bunch of uh, horrible experiments, just like every other mansion that's been uh, <laughs> been abandoned in the last 50 years mm-hmm. in movies and games. Uh, so, of course, as soon as you go in the mansion, the lights go out, your girlfriend screams, you wake up uh, more or less in a basement with a strange mask on that's made you super powerful, and so you tear, you know, you set your off through the mansion, uh, killing random monsters to go save your girlfriend. Most basic story ever, but for some reason, you know, in those days, that was fine. You know, you didn't need a whole lot of a reason. Uh, and unlike a lot of other graphics games, this isn't based on a property we never heard of before. So it pretty much is exactly what it seems to be. Um, there's seven levels. They all have a boss at the end, or at least a, an encounter of some sort at the end. I don't know if you count a bunch of furniture as a boss, but... Uh, it's a very solid game. I mean, there's only two buttons because the Turbo Graphics only had two buttons on it. There's a, a jump button and an attack button. You don't go, you know, in and out of the screen. It's literally just left to right, like every other classic side scroller, Castlevania, or any of those. It, but I think it's it still holds up really well. Uh, for me, I I thought this was a a great exclusive for the Turbo Graphics 16, especially with with what we played before with Keith Courage. Oh. You know, if you got that with your Turbo Graphics, you'd be like, oh god, I, I don't even know what what could possibly come out that you know that's better than this um but rude this is a. <laughs> I, I think you know if i'd have seen this as a kid i would have been totally jealous you know if my friend had it or something I'd like this is awesome this is a really good looking game it's fun to play you know it's dead simple of course but i it's for back in the day when this came out i would have definitely been impressed with this one yeah i i, I was also i'd seen uh my friend that had the Turbo Graphics didn't have this game, but I had saw it in the magazines uh, and whatnot. And yeah, I was completely envious. I tried to talk them into getting it. I, it's probably something their parents wouldn't let them or something like that. Um, but yeah, uh, the gimmick alone was enough to draw you in as a kid to see that kind of thing because you didn't see that level of violence in a game. But the, the it could have very well just gotten off of the gimmick alone. But the gameplay is real solid. Uh, and I, I just enjoyed everything about it, along with your regular melee attack. You also uh, are able to pick up several weapons. I think there's a there's a shotgun, there's a pipe. Not that you really need them, because you, you one-hit pretty much everything anyhow. But yeah, it's a, it's a real solid game, and it's a, a pretty short game, too. You can sit down and, and get through it in one sitting, one very pleasant sitting. And for the record, Keith Courage was scarier than this one. <laughs> I, I agree. I thought, yes, I'm still having flashbacks of that one, but this one, I, yeah, it's it's still really fun. There's it is. There's really not much to it, like I said, and but it's it's just it's it's got a very visceral feel to it. You know, you don't have to have that bat or the the boards or whatever that you pick up that you hit enemies with, but when you get them and and you just hit an enemy with it, you know, they just don't fall down. They explode, you know, in chunks. And seeing that stuff back in the day especially when this came out, I would have probably flipped my shit because you just didn't see stuff like this. Well, yeah, the, the board especially and the, the cleaver, uh, which kind of just looks like a board with a yellow end to it. But when you have those, for example, in the, uh, the underwater section of level two, there's like these sludge monsters that come up and you'll hit them with the, bat, with the, uh, with the board and they don't, yeah, they don't just explode even. They, they slam against the back wall and slide down slowly. Like it... It's a little additional thing. It's not, it doesn't get in the way. It doesn't seem like it's the only thing that happens. It's not like you hit one and then it takes like three minutes to fall down while you stand there and look at it. It's not a, a cinematic. It's just these little touches to it. Um, same with the uh, 
when you when you punch certain enemies, like there's these things later on that look like fetuses almost, and you'll punch them and they look like they deflate and fall to the ground. Like there's these little touches to every monster that that is just you know above and beyond just hitting them and having them fade out or flash or do you know whatever every other game was doing at that point in time. Um, you know, we said it's kind of a simple game, but again, th- this is the uh, very end of the NES era. This is before Genesis really hit, before the Super Nintendo. So games had two buttons. You didn't have a whole lot of options, and and he does have some. Some other moves. He has a jump slide uh, you can do if you, you hit the jump and attack button, I think, at the same time when you hit the ground. Um, along with the you know picking up the shotgun that's not in that many levels, but when you get it, it's super powerful, and you only get eight shots with it. So it's not like you get it and you get to go crazy. You've got to be very careful with how many times you use that shotgun. The, the music was the thing that, when I first played it, it, the music hits on all cylinders in this first game. I mean, if you want to sound like a you know, a cheaply made 80s horror movie, this game has that sound down. Everything sounds very, uh, it's like very minor scale, but it's also, the little sounds, like when you pause the game, it's like, chung, chung. I'll try to put some of those in. I probably won't be able, won't remember to, but it, it's got a, like a solid sound for everything, you know, and there's there's even like jump scares at the end of levels where you'll, you think you finished a boss and all of a sudden it's like, Ba-dun! this thing jumps out across the room and if it hits you and it's your last li- life, you'll die. Like, that'll be it. <laughs> you have to go back through the beginning of the level again. Thankfully, like Billy said, you can get through the entire game in under an hour. Yeah, and I think it, you know, like Billy said, even, you know, for most of these enemies, except for the bosses, you can hit them in in one shot or one shot them completely and they're dead. And I think that's one thing that goes a long way in making the game feel so visceral is because you're not just hitting them over and over again. You swing with that board and they, you know, they go right against the wall. It makes you feel super powerful. It makes you feel like a badass. And I think that the game really does a great job of that. And the, the music, too. Especially the music in the the, the one uh, the levels where you're in the water, where those sludge monsters do come up, uh, the, it just keeps getting faster and faster and faster as you go through and, and more stressful. And it, it sounds exactly what you would expect from like an '80s horror movie, and it was it was super impressive. Especially since I have not been impressed by the Turbo Graphics sound chip thus far, so I, I really enjoyed the music. Yeah, I, I think the one hitting enemies was one of my favorite things, and because hitting them over and over. Uh, it absolutely would ruin the game if you had to do that. I don't know if they would ever do such a thing. <laughs> uh, 
But uh, yeah, whoever made this, the people behind this, I think they put a lot of work into it. I think they probably studied a lot of horror films before they went in, into this because the presentation uh, really matches up to the, the movies of the time back in the 80s. Uh, just overall, the presentation, it's one of the better 16-bit games, I think, overall. Well, I think the the good thing with the one hits is not just that it makes it fast and it does make you feel super powerful and you're blowing through the level, but you only have you know four hit points really. They're they're human hearts, of course, instead of hearts like every other video game. And there isn't a whole lot of health regeneration. I think there's only one or two places in the game where there is health regeneration. Uh, other than that, it's it's if you die and you have to continue, you go back to the beginning of the level um, and and start again. There's not a whole lot of checkpoints. You don't come back right where you where you got hit. So the bosses themselves are also not incredibly hard. They don't take a lot of hits, but if they hit you three times, that's it. You know, you go back to the beginning of, of the level in a lot of cases and, uh, and try again. So I really like the idea that you can hit them in one hit, but it also doesn't make it super easy because you also die pretty quickly as well. And I was actually surprised with, uh, with how these games were back then, especially since it came from being an arcade game. I was really shocked that I even had health in this game because... You know, with with usually these one shot kind of uh, games, you you only get one or two shots yourself. So this one, you get about five five hearts whenever you whenever you start, and uh, every every time you get hit, you lose a heart. So I, I think that really went a long way in just how easy it was to beat this because this game wasn't very hard. And I was really expecting it to be you know something pretty damn hard, especially since there's no uh, difficulty select in the game at all. It's just the, here here it is. You know, go at it. And I beat it in about 30 minutes. I, I, I had to continue once, I think, and, and that was it. So, I mean, sure, you do only get those hits, uh, those, those five hearts, but it still seems like it's more than enough to make the game, you know, not super challenging. Well, it's, it's pretty much a straight arcade port. I did uh, watch an entire playthrough of the arcade game because I figured it would be super short anyway, but it's, it's almost identical. The arcade game looks slightly better than this, but not much. It's not a drastic difference. Uh, and there's some editing changes they made. You know, nothing in the United States could come out with a cross in it. So anything that had a cross was changed into uh, something else. For example, the boss of level four, uh, which is in like this um, almost like a church looking area, is a bunch of heads. And in the arcade version, the heads revolve around a cross. And the cross is really the enemy you want to hit. You have to kill the heads to get to the cross. A pretty standard shooter type, uh, type enemy. Uh, but in the TurboGrafx version in the U.S., they change it to a head in the middle of a bunch of heads. So there, there's little edits, but other than, than things like that, it's pretty much a straight port. So I can see how if you were expecting people to pay quarters to play this, it's probably a reasonable difficulty. I think it would be the kind of game in the arcade that, because you weren't used to a bunch of games like that at this point in time, you still probably would have had to waste uh, several dollars to get through this. Uh, just an easy playthrough, but a very pleasant one. But but one thing that I thought really stood out story-wise in this game was uh, for it to be a story about you going to rescue. Uh, it's the same as uh, same premises, you know, most games that side scrollers at the time. You're rescuing a girl of some sorts, but you don't pull it off this time, which I thought was a very interesting turn. Well, not that's only actually kind of dark. I mean, for a game, oh, back yeah. then. for that time. Well, it's not that you don't pull it off. You essentially kill her. You essentially, yeah. and that's, again, yeah. there's no spoilers in the game from 1990. But at the end of level five, you find your girlfriend, and then all of a sudden after she screams to help her, she turns into a monster that then attacks you, and you essentially kill the monster until she turns back into a human and thanks you for killing her and dies.
and that leads you to the last two areas, which is where you basically go on a rampage through the mission, uh, through the mansion, to uh, to to get revenge for your your dead girlfriend, and rightfully so. So the first game ends where you go through the mansion after you don't save your girlfriend. You essentially go into like a almost like the heart of the mansion, and you fight a, a essentially like an organ that shoots out monsters, kind of like the end of Contra. And then the last level itself, you're back outside, the entire house is on fire, and for whatever reason, and it doesn't ever really fully explain, the mask makes a monster come out of the ground that has a giant face and human hands, and you kill him and escape. And that is the end of the first game, which is more or less where the second game starts. second game came out a couple years later for the Genesis in 1992. Uh, the story continues from there. It's three months after the first game in, in the world of Splatterhouse, whatever that would be. Uh, and the mask starts calling you from wherever it is. Because you leave the first game thinking the mask is broken apart. And in fact, in the, in the arcade version at the end of it, you see the mask come back together and it laughs. That's not in the TurboGrafx release, but it, it is what supposedly, I guess if there's canon for this, that's it. And, uh, and the, so the mask starts calling you again, saying, you know, Jennifer doesn't have to die. You need to come back to the mansion and save her again. So you do. Yeah, you return to the mansion that, that burned down, yet is fully <laughs> intact. Well, the, the best part is I, I looked that up because I was like, Did, yeah, didn't that mansion burn down? Apparently, this is the side mansion. It's on the same grounds as the other mansion. You just didn't see oh, it the first time. Ridiculous. Oh, it's, it's just my side mansion. <laughs> just my second mansion. You have, you know, a side mansion, a guest mansion. You know, if you if you'd just taken down the the goddamn mansion that had all the monsters and was possessed and killed your girlfriend, don't you think you could have looked to the right a little bit and seen the other mansion that you and you might have thought that just maybe I, I should probably take that one down with it. You were just blinded by rage. You missed that other mansion entirely somehow. So I, this, I guess so. Now I had never played the the Genesis the second one ever before this this podcast. I knew it existed, and I looked at the back of the box when, when it was out, and I thought, yeah, it looks, looks just like tur- uh, the TurboGrafx release, so I thought it was a remake. I didn't know it was a whole new game. Yeah, I had played this one, actually. I had rented this one a couple of times uh, as a kid, and all I could, I could recall enjoying it, but the big thing I could recall was there was a boss, and when you defeated that boss, both of his eyes burst into this, uh, this kind of pus-filled mess. And that stuck with me, and I, I was happy to see that that pretty much was how I remembered it. And like I said before, this was my first experience with, with uh, Flatterhouse. Splatterhouse. Flatterhouse is my new game coming out on uh, Steam Greenlight soon. <laughs> but as for uh, Splatterhouse 2, I was you know, kind of shocked with this one. This one, you know, it's, it's definitely more graphic than the first one. It still has uh, the very you know, visceral kills where things just explode or you hit them up against the wall. But everything's kind of taken to like the next level. Uh, as far as uh, the, the visuals and everything, Every, everything has a much more gritty and, and dirty feel to it. And I, I was super impressed with that as a kid because I, I did not think you could make a game like this and, and let children rent it in an actual video store because it's, it's pretty gruesome. 
Well, and, and it's also a very good sequel to the original. They didn't go crazy with anything. It, it expands what the original game did, which is that you have an attack button and a jump button, and uh, you, know, you get some items through the way, different weapons you can use to fight monsters. They just made it so the levels are more involved. The bosses are more interesting in some ways. Uh, it's just a better version of what the first game did while being a wholly new game. It's not a, a ridiculous sequel that would go, you know, get all new gaming conventions and break what, the, what worked in the original game, which I, I was really surprised with. I like the second one a lot. Um, I only played it for the purpose of, of this, this podcast, so I didn't get a whole lot into the story. I, I, you know, I, I basically wasn't playing it with the box and the manual. I, I loosely understand what happens in it. Uh, essentially, you, you go through, and, and I think you, you save Jennifer's soul and bring her back? Basically, this is the... Um, you, you get the happy ending for, for Splatterhouse 1 oh. if you beat this game. Uh, you, you, get, you essentially go all the way through the mansion. Um, you find a, a, a void or gateway to the demon world. Go through there, you find Jennifer, and uh, you guys escape the mansion. But it, it's it's really it's it's got this super fun tone to it the whole way through. This one adds a little bit, uh, kind of like dark humor to it that the first one didn't have, and it's it's kind of got like an Evil Dead Two vibe to it uh, with some of the scenes and and how it plays out. So it's a it's got a little bit more of a lighthearted feel to it, especially with the story. It's it's definitely more like a you know, like a dark humor horror movie from the 80s. And I, I think it really carries over well to this one. Now, I, I played through and I, I tried to pay attention. But, uh, Jeremy, since you seem to coming off as the expert of the three of us, can you explain the mask? What is the, the relationship here? So how it, does this thing work? Which Jeremy do you mean, me or the oh, oh, Jeremy Gregory? Oh, clearly not you. Okay. Jeremy Gregory. <laughs> Uh, if you leave it up to me, I don't really know. Uh, you know, there, it kind of explains itself a little bit at the end of Splatterhouse 3 if you get a bad ending. It seems to feed off of the uh, horror and, and sadness of people and continues to come back so it can feed itself. From what I can understand, because as if you guys have played these games, you know how well the stories are written out. So you kind of have to infer a, a good deal as to what the mask's ultimate plan is. Um, though even that, it, it, it's he kind of wants to rule the world, I guess. And uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's fucking Spider House, and you don't really need to know much more than just punch a few monsters and they explode. But that really seems to be the the mask's ultimate intention is to rule the world. But he keeps coming back because he feeds off of the the horror and and fright of of other people. Well, that's a lot more in depth than I expected uh, for that's a reason. Some- I, I, I told just assumed it was, was an evil mask. Uh, uh, you know, Splatterhouse 3, which I'm the only person that's really played a good deal of, we'll get to that in a bit, but it, it does explain a good deal of the story and, and that, you know, the whole mask thing and what he's all about, but no, nobody cares.
Well, then, then let's wrap up two pretty quickly. I, I don't have much else to say uh, about the game itself because, again, it's very similar to Splatterhouse 1. It's a, it's a 2D side-scrolling game, uh, you know, two buttons, to it, one attacks, one jumps. It Things still die in one or two hits for the most part. It, they didn't really stray from that formula. Uh, and, again, you save your girlfriend at the end of this one and, uh, and escape. Did, did anyone else have anything to say about Splatterhouse 2? I will say that I don't think I like this game as much as Splatterhouse 1. Uh, after I played through Splatterhouse 1, I, I really think that game just has a more fun, simplistic feel to it. There's something about Splatterhouse 2 that doesn't feel right. And I think it's, you know, he's he's kind of floaty in the first game anyway. And in the Splatter, in Splatterhouse 2, he's got an even more kind of weird, floaty feel to him that I just never enjoyed. And um, also, Splatterhouse 2 seems to rely on the same one character, uh, one enemy character that they love to use in every single stage. It's the purple jumping things. They they like to just kind of jump on the side of the screen, jump all over the place. And I swear to God, they're in like almost every single level, level and are featured almost nonstop through the entire game. So, Are you talking about the thing with the gigantic teeth? Uh, I, kind of an alien type? Yeah, yeah. It kind of looks like a... a, a I'll see you. Well, let me tell you what bothered me about him. He's got, he jumps everywhere. He's got, yeah. yeah, he has the huge teeth. But his attack, uh, he tries to punch it out with you. For, for as intimidating as he looks, uh, the giant teeth and all that, and he's wanting to have a, a damn fist fight with you. I thought it was very strange. Well, his arm, his tentacle arm, is about a foot longer than yours. Yeah. So he can actually hit you pretty damn good if you if you get up close to him. And, you know, you're trying to swing and he'll just fucking slice your face right off with his arm. But, yeah, he's uh, I, I just got so tired of fighting those enemies. It, it just kind of got ridiculous after a while. And I thought this one was a tad bit more. This one still by by no means was a, a hard game. But I thought just a tad bit more difficult than the first. It is. And I, I think the bosses in this game definitely um, are way, way better than the first one, even though I like the first one better. I think the bosses in this one are, are way more imaginative. It's not just a room flying, you know, like fucking lamps flying at you and stuff like that. This one, you've got like, they're like, one of them's like aborted fetuses hanging on chains. Mm-hmm. And you've got a, you, you've got a chainsaw yourself and you're basically just, you know, chainsawing these demon baby fetuses. It, it's kind of crazy. It's, it's really shocking for what they were able to put in this game. Well, I think you can tell that that this game was made for consoles, where the first one was made for arcades. And as far as the the depth of the bosses, um, even the the second level boss is that is the giant face, uh, and it actually has you know heads that come out in different patterns. And you have to actually you know fight them effectively while trying to still punch this boss in the face. It's not just you know the first game had a lot of of bosses that were essentially almost like tanks you just run at them and hit them as fast as you can and hopefully that you hit them faster than they hit you with without a whole lot of dodging there's not a lot of skill to those those first bosses outside of uh, a few dodging pieces but other than that you just punch them a bunch you know th- this actually had some strategy to some of the bosses and, and i did enjoy that uh i did remember one more thing i want to say about this game the very first level boss so i never played this before and i get through the first level the first level boss pretty much looks like a flaccid penis yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it shoots like white junk at you from the top of its head. And I thought from that point it kind of went downhill. I was pretty impressed by that boss. And after that it was uh, you know, not, not as inventive as that first boss. But maybe I just have problems. I, they, they really started with a, a showstopper with that one. There was, there's no doubt. The rest of the bosses, besides the, uh, the fetuses, uh, they're, they're really not that impressive. Not, not that first boss anyway. 
No, they set the bar. They Unfortunately for all the good things I can say about it, they just set the bar too high in the beginning. Um, I, I haven't played the 360 version, but I'm, I'm hopeful. And you'll tell us later on. Maybe that boss made it over to that one. <laughs> I don't want to spoil the surprise, but no. So <sighs> at the end of Splatterhouse 2, after you save your girlfriend, uh, the house sinks into the water. I'm not necessarily sure why. I'm sure it was a load-bearing boss somewhere that, that sank the whole <laughs> house down. Um, which is why I was surprised in 3 you go back to the house. Uh, it's actually your own house. See that? I don't have any idea what's going on in 3. There's no that story in the game house. itself. Let me, let me spin you a yarn about what happened with Splatterhouse 3 and the events that happened after Splatterhouse 2. Oh, please, please fill us in. So after Splatterhouse 2, Rick and Jennifer get married and they have a kid named David. And... Rick makes it big on Wall Street. He becomes a big Wall Street, you know, rich dude. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm not making this up. This is literally what the story is. He, uh, so he makes enough money to buy his own mansion. And that is the mansion that is in Splatterhouse 3 because the demons and everything are coming for him and his family. And, and that is the setup for Splatterhouse 3. Yeah, that's a lot more in-depth than the story. That When you actually play the game, none of that is explained. Uh, you just start the game, and then the mask says something like, don't waste time, and then the game yeah. starts. Yeah, it makes, me, it makes me even more upset. We could have had a nice like Wall Street kid-type mechanic there, maybe the first <laughs> level or so. A little, a little buying, a little selling. <laughs> well, instead, you know, Jeremy talked about this to us they're like oh i can't wait you guys play three three is so awful and it, it's way out there and i you know i i can't wait to see what you guys think about about splatterhouse three so i went into it thinking that i would not hate it that much that i would i've been oversold on this game being uh, as unenjoyable as as he made it sound and even through the first five to ten minutes i thought jeremy's crazy this isn't that bad essentially it's the same kind of game as as the first two splatterhouses except that instead of just going left to right, uh, you know, on one one line, essentially. You can also walk in and out of the screen like a final fight. And also like a final fight, most of the monsters take more than one hit. Uh, in the first level, that's not a huge deal. That means they take two to three hits, and your guy also has combos that he does. So if you just slam the attack button a bunch, he does like a four-hit combo that will kill the first couple screens of enemies, you know, if you hit with all four hits. So I, I wasn't that that annoyed by the the game and it looks pretty i think the music's a little lacking compared to the first two it, it's it's okay but it doesn't have that horror sound anymore it just kind of sounds like every other fighting game but then after you clean a room out of enemies or a, a hallway of enemies uh then you're supposed to open up a map and see where to go next and all of a sudden you see you are going through a mansion so you have to go room by room by room to try to get to where it, there's an x on your map 
you also have a time limit, unlike oh. the other game where, where it was kind of just, again, it was a straight line and all the levels were fairly short, but still, this says, like, oh, you have six minutes to get to the X. So I thought, okay, if I didn't make it to the X in six minutes, then my game ends. So my first playthrough, I did go from room to room to room, and I got to the first boss. Uh, and my time ran out in the middle of fighting that boss. But then I still beat him, and I kept going. So I, I figured that, that there has to be something. So I had to look up online just to make sure. I didn't want to spend a lot of time playing this game if I missed something I, I couldn't go back and fix. And yes, essentially, it lets you continue if you don't make these times, but it means you're going to get a terrible ending if you get all the way through this game and you don't meet all the time limits. This game is incredibly poorly explained. It's absolutely terrible. And when, whenever you do first start the game up, you're like, this is kind of neat. You know, you, it, it is just a, a final fight kind of brawler. It's not bad. You know, it feels pretty good. The controls aren't terrible at all. Uh, but things change as soon as you clean out a room. And it tells you to press the start button to bring up your map. And it then brings up a map of the floor that you're on in the mansion. And at this point, you can make your way through that floor however you want. It shows you where the boss is. It's got a big red X on it. And so you can make your way through as fast as you can, and that's what the what the goal is. But like like you said, if the time runs out, you still don't lose. But it's so incredibly stupid because if if you even if you make it through that first that first level before the time runs out, you have already most likely lost the first character, Jennifer. She's going to die. If you actually go to the second level, she's dead. She will actually die in that second level, and there's nothing you can do. So you have to actually make it through that first level, that first uh, floor, at some weird time. The game doesn't tell you. I think you have, need to make it through at least um, in like a minute and 50 seconds or something. And at that point, if you beat the level in this time that the game doesn't tell you, then Rick will find Jennifer and be like, hey, you saved me, and then you will skip the second level and go to the third level. It makes no fucking sense at all how the, why they put this time limit in, because it doesn't adhere to it at all. And I don't know how far you guys got, but I played this game way too much as a child because I just I hated it, and I wanted to beat it because I hated it. And so I kind of just ended up finding all the, you know, doing the, the, these perfect runs and, and everything and got really way too good at this game that I hate. And it, it, it continues like that through the entire game. It's, it's just, it's so weird. And that's really all I can explain. <laughs> Say that this game, it's just a weird, bad game. Well, I knew I was in for some shit with this one because uh, the reverence with which Jeremy spoke of it. Uh, Jeremy, he, he told me, you know, when he was telling me of the uh, the three games, uh, you'll like one and two. Let me know what you thought about the third. <laughs> and he never wants to know what I what I think about a game that, that's good. That's that's always the the tale. It's going to be awful, and it was. I started it up though, and I had just I had just come off you know finishing the fr I finished the first and second over the course of a night. Obviously, you can in about an hour, hour and a half. Uh, and I started the third one up the next night. And if anything, I recommend not playing the superior first two beforehand. Because I went into the third with high hopes. And yeah, it looks a lot better. I do think the music's gone downhill a bit. Graphics-wise, it looks uh, good for the time on the Genesis. Uh, 
but the first thing I did, first enemy I encountered, I hit the punch button once, and, and then I didn't hit it again because I had grown accustomed to, to the one hit. But then when I saw that we had entered the realm of, of, of Final Fight, I just really thought it took something away. Because like we talked about, one of the most enjoyable things about those first couple were just, you know, the one-hit the one hit kills on the enemies. And it just gave you that sense of, of, of power about your character, that you're just ripping through all these monsters. That's gone. Now, you, you know, you give them the three to four hits, they fall. You wait for them to get up. You hit them again, they fall. They get back up, you hit them again, and you know, eventually they die. Most of them you only have to do it once or twice with, at most. Uh, and I also thought the, the, there were less weapons laying around. There were just less of everything that made the first two good. And then, to add insult to injury, I look up at the top of the screen, and I see this thing ticking down. It's a fucking timer on there. There's a timer on Splatterhouse now. And uh, as if that wasn't enough, those were the two strikes. And then when I finish, I clear out a room, and now I have to pull up. Um, I have to pull up something that is going to completely break the, the momentum of the game. There is going to be a pause in between each single room so I can look at this map. And I'm playing a Splatterhouse game, and I'm having to think. I'm having to make decisions. It, it's not just a, a fun romp through a mansion anymore. It, it's be, and it's not complicated by any means, but uh, based upon the... You know, the first two games, it's it's much more complex, and there's a lot more slowdown to it. And it just completely ruined uh, the game. I hated it by the end of the first level. I went on, and I played you know, five levels or so, and I, I didn't... Uh, I stayed within the time limit every time, so I guess I was on course to get the good ending. Uh, any ending to this game is a good ending. I prefer the one where you just cut the system off or hit the big X and... Never play it again. <laughs> that's the easy <laughs> ending, but the best, most rewarding ending. That's the ha- that's the happy one. Uh, yes, I didn't actually mind a lot of the changes. I thought the making it more like Final Fight, while it did kind of hurt the momentum of the game, I didn't mind it for the regular enemies. And I I actually like the map. Uh, I like the idea that I could play this game several times, you know, in a sitting and kind of see different rooms. I mean, sure, they're all kind of the same room, but. But they're all slightly different. There was a kitchen. I went through a kitchen. I went through a room with bookshelves. Very exciting. But I could have skipped those rooms and gone another way. I I just like the option to go other directions. What I don't like in a game like Final Fight, and it's the same reason I don't really like games like Final Fight itself, once you have a game like this where regular enemies take four or five hits, it means bosses take a ton of hits. And because you're not just going left and right, you can go in and out. You essentially, for me at least, because I'm not good at these kind of games, uh, where, where it's a Final Fight style game, uh, I just kind of dance around an enemy while he punches me from angles where I can't possibly hit him. Uh, absolutely the least fun ever is playing bosses in those kind of games. Golden Axe, Final Fight, any game like that, the bosses are the worst part. There's not any fun to them. There's not like there's a lot of mechanics to work out a lot of the time. It's literally just what angle can I jump into or stand at where I get a hit on this guy where he doesn't hit me. Uh, not enjoyable for me. Uh, the other thing I noticed that that at first I thought, well, this is kind of dumb, and then I thought, well, maybe this will this will help. The uh, the power orbs. So throughout the levels in the game, you'll find these little circle orbs that I thought were items you throw, but they aren't. Instead, they make your power level go up at the bottom. There's a power bar and a health bar. And once your power bar is full, you use the uh, the third button on your controller because again, it's a Genesis game. So you have jump and you have attack, and then you have this third button. If your power bar is full, you'll turn into a super mutant Rick. And I don't know what the story arc is in that since you couldn't do it before but uh, for whatever reason you'll turn into a much larger um, 
muscle bound, even more muscle bound look for, looking version of Rick. And I thought at that point I would be one punch killing everything. And that was essentially the Rick from the first two games. You know, like maybe now your your regular, I guess, Wall Street Rick until you get that power button up. Then you become Splatterhouse Rick. But no, no, it's exactly the same, except that you do less things as far as I can tell and become a little bit slower. It's the worst power up in the history of power ups. It's uh. Yeah, it's it's really you do get definitely more powerful, uh, but you said you have to wait till it gets full. You don't actually have to wait until your power meter gets full. You can actually activate that thing if you got just the tiniest bit. So the way the game kind of wants you to play is to manage the amount of this power crap that you get and then activate it when you really need it. But it just it it doesn't make that much of a difference. Rick is just almost as powerful without the the power orbs or returning into super rick as he is just regular rick and the only time it ever helps you out is against the bosses where getting a few extra hits uh you know a little bit more powerful actually can can save some time if you're trying to get the perfect ending but it, it just it it doesn't come off as making you feel as powerful as what it wants you to probably you know the way you look you know your mask grows into your shoulders you become this hulked out, you know, kind of crazy looking dude. But still, you're just kind of doing the same stuff you did before. And it, it really doesn't really make you feel like you're that much more powerful. Well, it's less things than you did before. When when you're just regular Wall Street, Rick, you you have a move where if you hit back forward and attack, you do like this ridiculous spin kick that doesn't make any sense in, in physical terms. But it's really, really powerful. If you use that over and over again, if you get good at it where you can just kind of pull it off whenever you want... You'll kill even some of the tougher enemies in one or two hits that, if you're just punching them, could take eight or more hits. So it's a super strong move. But if you become uh, Super Rick or whatever you want to call the, the mutant Rick, it, you don't have that anymore. Instead, you just have a punch and, uh, and maybe you have other moves I couldn't pull off. I don't have a manual. I was just kind of playing this. You do get a, you, you get a, a move that's like that. You, a bunch of fists come out of you in like a, you know, three, 360 degrees. It, it replaces that kick. So it's just like a bunch of fleshy hands coming out all over your body, uh, you know, punching outward. And, and that's what you get. I, it seems it, it's really weird to pull that move off. I was never able to do it regularly. Even as a kid, I, I couldn't. There were just definitely those times where I could do it like four or five times in a row. And then all of a sudden I'd miss it like three or four times. It, it never seemed easy to do. But that move, that spin kick move is the only way you can actually play through the game. And get the good endings because it's so powerful. It is like you can take down monsters that take you know four or five hits regular in one hit with it. So you just have to sit there and spam that move and perfect it if you ever want to get anywhere in the game. Yeah, and I found that, and I think that's another thing that kind of uh, took the the fun out of it was just you know spamming that move over and. And I want to say I'm very impressed that for a big guy like that, he he can get that leg up there. For that big kick, it's but, a good spin uh, kick. It's 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 excellent. But right up right with what Jeremy P said, when you first make the transformation into uh, from from Wall Street Rick to this this you know super mutant version of Rick, you're really excited. You figure, all right, this is going to be a taste of the the old games. You're going to go through uh, every time you you're going to one hit these enemies, and every time there's going to be you know an even bigger mess left of them. And then you land a hit, and then you realize, uh, well, uh, you're doing a little more damage. But, yeah, I just, uh, and I never pulled off that move uh, with all the hands that you were talking about. So I don't know what kind of damage that does. But I, you could get through this whole game, I imagine, uh, 
uh, just as regular Rick, just using that kick over and over. Well, yeah, that's all I really did when I played. I mean, I'd I'd punch a few things, and you can grapple guys and do headbutts, but nothing is as effective as just spinning around like a horrible tornado. I mean, it it really does the most damage, and it's not that hard to pull off. Uh, I mean, I definitely had times where it didn't go off when I wanted it to, but it it didn't ruin, you know, the fight for me because, again, you have a health bar, and and there is health pickups. Even in the first level, they're they're pretty frequent. So I, I didn't have a lot of problems getting through the levels it just wasn't as fun with the extra rooms and the fact that everything takes more hits it just it just it was the wrong way to lengthen this game out and make it more interesting um i did not get very far i did watch watch a video of the rest of the game to make sure that it wasn't like oh yeah after level level three it's amazing again no it looks like it's the same the whole way through um but i have no idea what the story is in this game at all no clue yeah i made it to uh to level five which apparently i only had uh, one more to go, which I will never complete. Uh, I assume uh, old Jeremy Gregory uh, completed this game, and if so, maybe you can you can tell us was it was there a happy ending? Well, you may want to sit down Rick. because I, I've got <laughs> yet another tale here. the The things that are happening in Splatterhouse Three revolves around Wall Street Rick's son, David. Apparently, he is some sort of uh, psychic that he doesn't know about or whatever. But he holds the power to activate the Dark Crystal, I want to say. I know that's an old movie, and I'm really scared of that movie, but I'm pretty sure that's what it's called in here as well. It's just a crystal, and the main boss in the game wants to activate it so he can rule the world or whatever. So that's kind of the whole point. They, They kidnap Jennifer as a ruse so that they can get to David. And if you can get to David in time and save him, then you've got to go through the rest of the game and make sure you just kind of clean out everybody that was trying to cause all this, all these problems. And by the end of the game, if you get the perfect ending, uh, it will be you and Jennifer and David having a, a happy ending as their mansion clears out and they can go about living, living out their dream. And uh, there's also a, a middle ending where you just uh, Jennifer dies. And you just get David, and, and David's like, where's mommy at? And it's, it's so lame. And then, of course, there's the, the bad ending where you just you, you, know, you don't make it to the end of the game or whatever. But it, again, makes no sense. But the weird thing about this game is that it seems to actually take this, the story way more seriously than it needs to be. It's got these, like, digitized cutscenes of like, uh, you know, Rick with the mask on and it it looks like they've spent more than like 20 bucks on it this time because, you know, it it looks like an actual actor wearing a mask and, you know, they've, they've got all of these different little cutscenes, and it's, it's so ridiculous that they did this with this game because it's, it's Splatterhouse. You don't need this stuff. It's, it just doesn't make any sense on why they decided to go this way with it. But the earlier comparison you made from Evil Dead to Evil Dead 2 uh, for the first game to the second game. I, I think that's a very good comparison because the second game does have kind of more of a tongue-in-cheek feel, but it doesn't take itself too seriously. Where Yeah, this game this game seems to take itself very seriously, and those digitized picture sections, maybe those look really cool in 1993, but they do not look really cool in 2015. They're, they're just goofy and unnecessary. Uh, if that was supposed to be the story that I'm supposed to be following, there's no way you, you'd piece this together. I, I don't know how you know what's going on. I, you know, it, it pops up with these these uh, cinematics as you're going through. You don't actually have to beat the level or anything. It'll, you'll just go to a, another room and it'll just pop up with some random uh, cinematic and it'll be like, hey, you know, uh, this person, you know, it's David's hiding in his room and he's scared. And that's actually the only way that you can tell that, uh, especially with Jennifer, 
if you're making it on time for her to for to save her. Because if you as you're going through that first level, it's kind of like it brings up these the cinematics and it's like Jennifer's hiding in a corner or, or Jennifer smells the, the rot of the grave. And if you get to that one cinematic where it's like where she smells the rot of the grave, you you she's basically dead at that point. You don't have a chance. You've run out of time, even though the game doesn't tell you. So the game really is proud of its stupid ass story and, and seems to really want to integrate it into its game. But it's dumb and the game isn't good anyway. So I'm not sure why why they wanted to do it. Yeah, they took something that worked and I, I think they just tried to do too much with it. And it seems like one of those things where everyone had an idea of well, why don't we, you know, change the combat system to be you know, more like this final fight. It's like, oh, why don't we add these cinematics to it? Or why don't we make it a, a maze? Uh, they took two excellent games and, and just really made a very, very, I can't stress how disappointing third game out of it. I think they had some cool ideas with it. I mean, the whole idea of having a map that you can explore is, is really different from, a, you know, just about every single brawler out there. I mean, Jeremy P. mentioned it. I mean, it's, it's really cool if there was a reason to explore it. But since you've got a time limit, and you have to basically min-max this entire game if you want to get through it. There's no reason to explore. You're just going to find the fastest route through these level or these these floors, and that's the only way you're going to ever be able to go if you want to beat the game. Because if you go another way, you've essentially lost as soon as you do it. So I, I don't know. It just it could have been cool if there was a reason to explore, but there's not. So I, I don't know. It's it's just a waste of a game. Well, and they tell you where to go. It's not like you're exploring to find. Whereas Jennifer and there's clues that would kind of lead you to different places or even items like keys you'd need or anything. It literally says you're here. You want to go here. It shows you the doors on your map, uh, which that's another thing. They have these yellow doors that are almost always out of the way. Um, I didn't go to them myself, but I, I had to look it up just to see, like, is there a point to these doors? And they're apparently warps. If you if you go to the yellow door, most of the time they'll take you closer to where the X is without actually uh, making any sense uh, there's no, there's nothing that would lead you to believe that other than that it's a yellow door on your map. Um, you know, I, I mean, I guess that's nice that you have other directions to go and, and it gives you other options. But again, it doesn't make any sense. They could have just not told you where, where Jennifer is and given you clues on what room to go to or anything. It would have been more interesting. But instead, yeah, it just, it kind of just gives you a reason to, to remember what rooms not to go in in a future playthrough. Yeah, I, I just, I don't get it why they, the way they did like that. It, you're just gonna immediately see the fastest route to get there it's it's not like it's some kind of puzzle or maze or anything like that it's it's dead simple i mean there's only like a, maybe like eight or nine different rooms per per level so it, it just i don't know it's a cool idea that that could have been neat if somebody that knew how to make a good game was actually doing it yeah and nobody was present on staff that knew how to do that for this one but uh, but this was it for the series this killed the series off uh, for a good while well, and story-wise, it does as well. I, I mean, the end of this, this game, uh, without knowing how it gets there, uh, I do know that at the end of this game, if you get the good ending, uh, essentially you've destroyed the mask and you go on living your life uh, you know, free of the, the curse of the mask or whatever the reason is that the mask keeps hunting you down to, to make your son the ultimate evil or whatever the, the point of this one was. Um, so they didn't make another Splatterhouse game until they tried in 2010 to reboot it on Xbox. 360 and I remember when they first were talking about this game and they showed a couple screenshots of it and some other you know little videos it looked awesome it looked like they took the same idea as the original Spider House and kind of made it a 
a fully 3D brawler where it was just super bloody. I mean, you know, the few things they show was like, you know, you, you have a, a chainsaw and you literally like cut some guy's arm directly off and it flops around on the ground and all these other cool things. It was just, I mean, goofy, but but totally like, oh, yeah, someone took Splatterhouse and they remade it. Now, a lot of the time, that's a very bad sign. Uh, anytime you take a, a 2D game that I enjoyed and make it 3D, like 30 years later, there's a really good chance it's garbage. Um, I, did anyone else even try this game? I saw it occasionally, but they were wanting way too much money for it, and I didn't want to. By this time, I in my life, I just don't have enough patience for brawlers in general, and I, I saw that's exactly what it was, and uh, so I, I never really gave it a chance. I also have have never encountered this one. It I did buy it when it uh, later on. I bought it for twenty dollars after it was marked way down. And I was just looking for something to play last Halloween or two Halloweens ago. And I was like, oh, Splatterhouse, 360, 20 bucks. I'll, I'll go ahead and try it. And uh, as an unlockable bonus, you get the original three Splatterhouse games. So even if this game was terrible, for 20 bucks to get all three Splatterhouse games, you know, in, in a real legal format, I, I can accept that. If you try to buy Splatterhouse 3 on, on eBay, you're going to drop a lot of money on it for whatever reason. Probably because they made six copies of it. But, uh, but you can play all three are unlocked in the, in the 2010 Splatterhouse. But yeah, it basically plays like a God of War-style 3D brawler, uh, but everything shoots blood everywhere, and, of course, the, the levels don't make a lot of sense. It's You're not in a house anymore. I mean, you start in a house, but then you go to different dimensions, and it, it's not fun. Like, the first level was really fun, but the, it kind of shows you its entire hand in that first 20 minutes, and then it drags on for about 8 to 12 hours. Um, not, not worth playing. It, it's not a bad game, and I wouldn't say the third game is a bad game as much as it's... It's a misfire. This this isn't as much a misfire as just really repetitive, really boring, and, and at this point in time, an unnecessary style of game. Like If you want to play a game like this, God of War series is much better. Uh, th- this does the same thing without being nearly as, as interesting boss-wise or, or level design-wise. But it does give you all three of these games. So if, if you had an Xbox and you found a copy of this cheap enough, just get it for Splatterhouse 1 and you'll be happy. I didn't actually know it came with uh, all three games. I think that's, that's Yeah, you have to cool. unlock them. So you do have to play through the game, unfortunately. But after you've done that, and, and I didn't hate it. Like I said, it was just, it's just too long for what it is. I, I don't have time for games like that anymore where I'm going to have to just fight the same enemies over and over and over again, you know, and this time in different colored caves. And uh, there's not even any, any inventiveness to the levels. It's not like you, again, they have a big map and you go back and forth to get to places, but it's basically like, oh yeah, well now I can tell that door open because I blew this door, other door apart and it, and it said to go back this direction. A big arrow came up. So, you know, not a, not a great game. It uh, didn't very, do very well. There hasn't been another sequel since and I'd be surprised if we see another Splatterhouse anytime soon. Um, but really, I think we've kind of determined that the first two more or less perfected it. So you can, you can find them now and play them now and get as, as much enjoyment as you want and be done with both of them in under an hour. Yeah, I, I, I still really think those two games are great, and it, it, especially the first. I was really surprised by how much I liked the first one, especially after I had never played it, and, and Splatterhouse 2 was kind of my game. I was just going to go into it being like, eh, whatever. But it's uh, it's still really, really fun. So, uh, de- yeah, definitely those those first two games, well worth checking out still the, still to this day. So that's our coverage of the Splatterhouse series. Start strong and then slowly goes downhill, um, but still all all well worth checking out. Even the even the ones we didn't really like, I'd say if you had a chance to play them, maybe you'd you'd like the ones we didn't like. None of them are terrible, 
Uh, I just think the first one's perfection, and, and from there it kind of goes downhill. Much like our regular podcast episodes have started strong, gone downhill. But all of them, <laughs> if we have them, we'd like to get a listener question, and I believe we have one for this week. We do have a listener question. Uh, this one is from close to home. My, my son, Quentin, has, has come through for me. He did what any good kid would do, and his father tells him, give me a question for my podcast, <laughs> You're Grounded. <laughs> and he even made it Halloween-themed. He, he wanted to know the first, uh, it's a two-parter, I allowed it, it's a two-parter, the first game that ever really gave you a scare or a jump, and he wanted to know the first but he also wanted to know uh, the worst, uh, the first game to scare you, but which game has given you the, the biggest scare over time. They may be one and the same. Okay, so worst scare being the biggest scare, not like what's the, big, the worst the, horror game you've played. No, that was Splatterhouse 3. Oh, no, <laughs> I, I would go with uh, Resident Evil 5. Not a fan. Ugh. Um, I'll, I'll go for this first. The first game, and, and at first I was going to say Resident Evil. I think everyone's first answer is oh yeah that level in resident evil one where the dogs jump through the window because that part was scary i mean if you're playing it by yourself at night the game's dead silent there these dogs jump through the window and it's terrifying but but at the same time i had to really think i was like no that's not the first game that scared me if neither of you have played this or anyone who's listening haven't played this for the intellivision system they had two (laughs) dungeons and dragons games now, the first Dungeons & Dragons game is the one I'm referring to. It's now called Cloudy Mountain because they don't have the Dungeons & Dragons license. But you go through these tunnels in these dungeons, essentially. But the dungeons don't show you what's coming up after a certain point. It unlocks as you keep walking. Like a fog of war, but you know, very, very crude because it's on the Intellivision. When you get to the monsters in these dungeons, and there's not very many of them, but they're all very powerful they'll all make noises. So if you're near a snake in the room next to a snake, before you open up the, the room where you see the snake and it attacks you, you can hear like a sound. Well, imagine you're walking through a dungeon. All of a sudden you hear this sound. And it keeps happening. It just sounds like a low rumbling sound. And then as you get closer to the room, this noise hits. And then all of a sudden, you're just this thing's running. It was a purple dragon thing. It just runs right at you. And if you're not ready for it, it kills you in three hits. And the sound that it makes when it's killing you, uh, which I probably don't have a clip of, goes like, brow, 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 and it's the loudest noise ever. And then you die, and you have to start the whole game over. As a, a four- or five-year-old, which is how old I was when I played this, this was the most terrifying thing ever. I would play this game. You have to have the sound up really loud to hear all these cues. And as soon as I hear, heard that first low rumbling noise, it was like, I was ready. I, I was like, okay, make sure the door of the room is open. And, and if I get to this guy and I don't kill him, I'm throwing the controller down and I'm running upstairs. <laughs> this is the most terrifying thing ever. Absolutely terrifying. So that was the, the thing that scared me first. And, and probably the worst because of my age. Uh, after that, it, there really aren't too many games that are, that are honestly scary too often. Um, I think the one that gave me the most... Um, tension the game where i felt the most concerned that like whatever was around the corner was going to kill me in one or two hits is zombie u uh for the wii u if if you've played that game especially later on it's the because you essentially have one life i mean you you have unlimited lives that you come back every time back at your base but you don't have any of the items you were with you have to go back and find your body and get your stuff so if you're if you're far enough away from your safe zone and you're, you're going through a new area you've never been through before, it was like every time I, I turned a corner or, or opened a door or did anything else, like 
I mean, literally, the, the hairs on my arm were standing up because I was so afraid of whatever was going to come out. Because if it kills you in one or two hits, that's it. You die. You have to go back. And when you go get your stuff, you your former self is there as a zombie now, and, along with whatever killed you. And you have to kill both of them to get your stuff back. So at some point, if you do this wrong, you'll be in a room with ten former versions of you that are trying to eat your brains to get your, your weapons back. Terrifying. So th- those were mine. Well, my, my first one, uh, clearly, it's not one I'm proud of. Uh, was for the NES, and it was Friday the 13th, uh, which was a, a horrible game. But there was, uh, uh, you're, you're saving these, you play a counselor, you play several counselors, and you uh, you have to save the children there. And there's a time where I guess Jason is attacking one of the children, and you get a warning, and you go up on your, your map screen, and uh, another instance of a, a poorly used map uh, mechanic, and... Uh, you see what cabin they're in, so you go in and you're you're walking around the cabin, and it's kind of a, a uh, one of those type of early first person views where it's just like one room at a time. It just changes frames pretty much. Uh, there's no fluid movement through there. You push a direction, and then a new screen pops up. Um, so you're looking around. Eventually, you'll find the kid there, and there's not really much else. All the rooms are pretty empty, but every now and then. And it's it's the fact that it's without warning. And I don't know if you can throw the sound on there or not, but Jason appears. Just this horribly loud sound. And there he is. Uh, he takes up a good bit of screen and all his purple jumpsuited glory. And at the time, it scared me as a kid to the to the point to where as soon as I lost that fight, I didn't play the game anymore. I took it back. I let my time with it lapse and, and took it back to the video store, and I wouldn't play it again for, for quite a while. Uh, so that was clearly the first. Uh, I, I didn't have the Intellivisions. So I, I was spared of that uh, true terror, which was uh, Jeremy Pease. But uh, the worst would have to be... <laughs> telling you guys that was terrifying. Uh, <laughs> sounds a lot like my cats, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but but the worst was uh, GameCube game Eternal Darkness, which uh, had a lot of creepy moments in it. Uh, but this was it had a tremendous jump scare in it, and it so effective that I was warned about it beforehand, and it, it still it still got me anyway. And I'm not really going to spoil it uh, at all. Uh, I recommend playing the game if you have the means to to get a hold of it. Or at least look it up on YouTube. Uh, I don't want my explanation of it to be the first encounter you have with it. But uh, you just want to see the the bathtub jump scare from Eternal Darkness. Yeah, that was the one I was thinking of. Excellent jump scare. Excellent. Tremendous. Yeah, that's got to be the worst by far. I think that's probably one of the most effective jump scares I've ever seen in a game. That one would be up there. If that was actually in a movie, I would have probably shit my pants. But... That was it. Just came out of nowhere, and it was so well done. Uh, that that one really got me too. But as far as the games that uh, did that to me, um, I'm sorry to to be the one that that goes with the default answer here. But it's really the only thing that comes up in my mind as far as the first thing that really really scared me in a video game was those goddamn dogs in in oh. Resident Evil on PlayStation. And I was playing that game at my grandma's house. And she had the the TV with the PlayStation that I could hook the PlayStation up to back in this super dark room with no lights. And I was playing this thing at like eight or nine o'clock at night. And 
you got to understand when Resident Evil first came out, it was like nothing anybody had ever seen before, especially for a horror game. I mean, you had Alone in the Dark, but a lot of those enemies and, and just the way that game looked, it was kind of hard to take a lot of that stuff seriously or, or get scared too much by it. It was neat, but it wasn't really scary. But Resident Evil looked the part of a horror movie. And there really hadn't been anything too scary up to the point where you go down that hall where those dogs come out. So I was kind of like, you know, this ain't too bad. You know, this it, it looks cool and it's great and it's got some cool ass music and, you know, but it's not super scary. And I hit that hallway and all of a sudden those fucking dogs come through those windows and it makes the loudest crash noise in the game. I swear to God, it's the loudest sound effect in the entire game. But they come through there and I, I was sitting on my ass and I jumped up off the floor somehow. I think it's the most athletic thing I've ever done in my entire life but jumped off the floor up to a full stand and I could not breathe. Like I was so shocked that that even, I just, the controller was somewhere at that. I don't know what I did with it, but I was just sitting there watching these dogs just come at me. And I looked back at the door. Like I wanted to leave the room because it scared me so bad. And, and to this day, I still feel kind of dumb for it, especially watching it now. But like I said, you've you've got to really put yourself in the, in the mindset and, what Resident Evil was when it first came out, and, and it, it was definitely a, a hell of a scare, and it still is. Don't feel bad about that. I, I mean, I was still working at, at Electronics Boutique when that came out, and much bigger guys than you or I would come in. <laughs> and this is when we basically, if you had a receipt and it was within seven days or ten days, you could return a game that was open. Uh, and, and they would come in like, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I don't like this game. You know, it's, it's just not not for me. And I'd be like, oh, the dogs. Right. And they're like, yeah, man. <laughs> like it was I mean, these were guys that would come in. They buy Madden every year. They're just big dudes play all these other games. With no problems. And this one, they're like, yeah, that's a little too much for me. I'm, I'm good. So don't feel bad. I mean, I didn't I didn't want to discount it as, a, as not scary. I just it wasn't the first thing that made me scared. But uh. I think it's just one of those things. That it's, it's kind of everybody's answer. I mean, anybody that's seen it back there it, it had to experience it back then. It, it was incredibly shocking for that to happen and to this day it's still just even with the uh, resident evil remake still looks it's pretty damn scary when it does happen and they even fucked you over on that one because it doesn't happen when it's supposed to happen that's perfect it'll actually happen like a <laughs> you know a second time you go through when when you're not expecting it and it actually got me again on that one uh, but as far as the one uh, that scared me the worst i probably have to say the original silent hill and not so much for jump scares but just because the entirety of the game made me so uneasy and on edge, especially when you first start that game and you're walking down that alleyway and the, the camera's kind of getting weird and you start seeing wheelchairs and, and all of a sudden those fucking weird baby demons start coming at you. Um, that, was, that was enough to really make me not want to play the game anymore. But there was something about it and I stuck with it. It's one of my favorite games of all time. But the entire game, I, I could not, it, it, I just dreaded playing it. I was so scared the entire time I was playing it. But still, I beat it and I loved it. But it's, it's just one of those things that it, it scares me so bad that I just don't even really want to play it. Yeah, and I, I agree about the, the first one. Uh, I really enjoyed it. was terrified pretty much. I, it just instills a, a, a huge sense of dread in you. you you want to advance forward but at the same time you, you're perfectly content standing in this you know, this safe spot for the time being and i think it, it, that really carried over to the third or sorry not certainly not to the third carried over to the second uh i felt 
also. But yeah, about the the Resident Evil dogs, I think yeah, it, it got me to uh, pretty bad from what I recall. I think I just uh, essentially just let them kill me that first time around. You're too shocked to really do anything. Uh, but yeah, and it, it's unfortunate that that was like within the first five or ten minutes of the first Resident Evil, and they never were able to come up with anything uh, that good again. No, that, was, that was like the biggest jump scare in the entire game for me. I mean, the rest of it was just kind of, it, you know, there were some the, some creepy parts and then some things that made me jump a little bit, but nothing in, in comparison to that one. Well, the later Resident Evils all, I mean, increasingly so. I mean, the second and third kind of still play very similar to the first, but they, they really became a more of an action horror game and less of a horror horror game, you know, less of a survival horror or, or shocking horror. It was just like, oh, yeah, how much, how many zombies can we make? How many things can we make? to look really creepy but but you knew what you were in for and so it was like here's more ammo and here's more things to do and you know it, less about trying to survive and more about trying to fight your way out until you get to the fifth and sixth which are literally just shooters yeah i, I still enjoyed you know like resident evil 5 but resident evil 6 is is terrible and, but yeah those uh i those first two games even resident evil 2 when you're playing as claire i think when that one thing is is basically chasing you around um, I forget his name. It's that big thing that, that kind of stalks you through the entire game. And you'll just be going around and he will just bust through a wall randomly or something like that at you. And the music goes up like shit like that was was definitely scary and, and made me jump. But I, I don't think the series ever, ever had a, a jump scare as good as those dogs. Well, I'm shocked. We've gotten to the end of our Halloween episode and I did not go off on how scary Deadly Premonition is. But I guess that's what we have <laughs> next Halloween for. Uh, but this is this will uh, be the last episode this year for the Halloween uh, slash horror games theme. So next we, next episode we will be back to the Nintendo Entertainment System for the first time in several episodes for a Capcom classic, Little Nemo the Dream Master. Was this a classic? Uh, it was in Nintendo Power, and I played it a lot, so it was a classic to me. At, at this point in time, Capcom could do no wrong, so it's a classic. Well, I don't have any. I've never played this one. I don't. Uh... I, I think it was a cartoon at one point. That's all the experience I have with it. So I'm looking forward to giving this one a shot then. I have no clue what this is. I don't even know. <laughs> never even heard of it. I never saw it at the video store. I've watched videos of, of it since I uh, since I knew we were going to do this one. But uh, it looks cool, but I, I never heard of it. Well, tune in in a couple weeks to find out what we thought. Uh, I'll let you know right now. I enjoyed it. Uh, but until then, you can always find us on Retrovania.net. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Retrovania, and we're on Twitter at Retrovaniacs. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>